millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When I lived in England during my teens and 20s, people of my parents' generation would often talk about muddling through, especially when they spoke of civilian life on the home front during World War II. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be melodramatic, but you could say we've been living through something like wartime. We've also been muddling through against COVID, made a lot of mistakes, and the pandemic is lasting a lot longer than we thought. But the crisis is being managed. And despite the setbacks, we are learning things. The pandemic. Can we do better next time? Our conversation's coming up. In this episode, six solutions for America. We don't deal with the growing and tragic crisis in the developing world in this episode, but we'll revisit this in later episodes. Our suggestions are on how to improve the U.S. response to pandemics, this one and future viral outbreaks. When we begin with a new fix, you'll hear this. Right now, we are suffering from Delta whiplash after most of us thought the worst of the pandemic was over. Yet another COVID surprise. So let's start with an update on the Delta variant. What does it mean? How bad will it get? How do we respond? Yeah, right. There's been a lot of misunderstanding about how likely vaccinated people are to get this version of COVID. So let's start with that, Jim. Right. At the end of July, the CDC released a paper on an outbreak of COVID in Provincetown on Cape Cod in the first two weeks of July. They found 469 cases. And what was really shocking in the report was that 74% of them occurred in fully vaccinated people. They also indicated that they thought the viral loads between vaccinated people and unvaccinated people, uh, the vaccinated people who had, who had COVID, were similar, which was not something we would have necessarily expected. And they ventured the idea that vaccinated people might transmit COVID as readily as unvaccinated people. And that was what led to their... Uh, change in the recommendations that even now even vaccinated people might be masked for indoor activities. But from what I can gather, it's still far less likely that if you are fully vaccinated, you will get the virus than if you're not, right? I think that this revised guidance from the CDC really muddied the waters. I've got friends that ask me, well, like, it seems like there's less reason to get vaccinated now, but doesn't really protect you when, in fact, the degree to which it protects you is is overwhelming. 
And then there's that stunning statistic, Jim, that that over 95% of hospitalizations from people who do get COVID are among the unvaccinated. So vaccines are doing a really good job at protecting people against true danger. That's right. So even those who get these breakthrough infections, uh, only very rarely are those serious. In the in the Provincetown cases, there were five hospitalizations out of 469 cases. They all re- were resolved without serious complications. And you believe, and many experts agree with you, that the Centers for Disease Control may have spoken too quickly without enough research to back it up. They really kind of jumped the gun on this. Vinay Prasad, a physician and professor of epidemiology at the University of California in San Francisco, told the Wall Street Journal in an August 3rd article, they're making these decisions on the basis of extremely weak and unreliable data, and at the same time, not doing the necessary work to reduce uncertainty among the population. I think that second part is really key. If they increase vaccine hesitancy among the public, they could be doing much more harm than good. So clearly one lesson that we need to have going forward is better messaging and and clearer messaging from the CDC, from the World Health Organization, from any authority that is responsible for public health outcomes or public health advice. Right. We have to get a more realistic view of the virus. We need to be more comfortable with the idea the virus won't go away. And too much of the messaging, certainly in the media, but sometimes from the CDC as well, is a little bit apocalyptic. But I think there's been a tendency to, to lurch towards the scariest news. And media coverage certainly needs to be a lot less emotional than it is now. I watched a TV news report this week on justifiable concerns that parents and teachers are having about the approaching school year. And the reporter on NBC said, quote, anxiety is at an all time high for parents of school aged children. Where's the evidence for this? Another claim the reporter made was, quote, parents are now at a crossroads of an agonizing decision. It would be a lot better if we used less emotive language and lowered the temperature, I think. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is exacerbated in an environment that rewards clicks and, and engagement. Remember when the vaccines were first coming out, the media was reporting each little breakthrough case as if it was some frightening proof that vaccines don't work or something, when in fact those are completely predictable. So the media is definitely a problem. I'm worried that some of the misinformation is coming from the CDC itself, and that should not be happening. Uh, The CDC director, uh, Rochelle Walensky, she told CNN recently, out of every 20 vaccinated people, one or two of them could get a breakthrough infection. And they're making a very common error in how the statistics work. What the efficacy is measuring is how likely are you to get COVID compared to an unvaccinated person. So it's a much, much smaller number. More information did come out after the CDC director was criticized for confusing people. As part of the, the, the statement revising the CDC guidance, there was a PowerPoint slide deck. And in that slide deck, they had a slide saying that the incidence rate for symptomatic breakthrough infections is 21.4 cases out of 100,000 vaccinated people. That's a breakthrough rate of 0.02%. You're 30-something times safer if you're vaccinated. 
So that's that's our first point is in how to do better next time, have a more realistic view of the virus and also have better public messaging from both the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC and the media. The second point is restoring trust, which is related to this, isn't it, Jim? Yeah. And this is such a hard thing to bring back when you've lost it. Trust in American institutions has been falling really for decades. We see it on the left. We see it on the right. We see distrust in the electoral process. And unfortunately, sometimes the institutions are less trustworthy than they should be. It's easy to blame the public for not trusting. But when the media does a bad job reporting on things and when public health officials zigzag back and forth on issues, that undermines trust. And then how do you win it back? It might take years of consistent, reliable performance before the public learns to trust these institutions again. More transparency is needed um, by the CDC and also by journalists on how they uh, compile their stories and some of the, the data behind maybe emotional statements. But also, it's important to realize that we are in the middle of the fog of war. And while we need our media, we need our institutions to do a better job, the job that they do have is a, is a tough one because of the constantly changing nature of the virus. If the institutions want to be more trustworthy, they also have to trust us. This is a natural tendency to worry that the public is going to behave badly. You can't give them too much information. We see it in one disaster after another, Katrina, Fukushima, and we saw it in this case. I think the solution is to trust the public to make good decisions on the whole and give them the information and let them know what you don't know. That phrase, we don't know, or I don't know, is something that we need to be much more comfortable about uttering in public. And it's not easy to do. Certainly politicians hate having to say that. I hate how, you know, journalists, you and I, we're reluctant on our own podcast. They're like, huh, I really don't know the answer to that. That humility is really important. And boy, nothing builds trust like letting the public know that you're willing to admit the limits of, of knowledge. So that's number two, is, is restoring trust. And that moves into number three. And this one makes restoring trust more difficult. Medical illiteracy. We have to do something about it. COVID is not the only health emergency raging across the country. States now struggling the most with infections have some of the least healthy people. The U.S. is the fattest nation among all wealthy countries. 40% are obese. Nearly half of adult Americans have high blood pressure. And according to medical research, only one in 10 people eat enough fruits and vegetables. And one cause of this illiteracy and why so many people died from COVID is that many people had no health insurance coverage and no relationship with a health care provider unless they went to the emergency room. Yeah. So this brings up a topic that's been discussed from the beginning of the pandemic. What does this mean for our health care system as a whole? And Richard, I know you're an advocate of a more comprehensive national program. 
I'm in, I'm in favor of universal health care coverage, whether that is, comes from private providers or, or from the government. Something that gets people into the health care system so that they have regular contact with doctors. It's much easier to be skeptical about the vaccine if you've had no contact personally with, with health care professionals, with nurses, with doctors, people who you know in your community who you trust. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I don't see in the data any powerful argument that countries with strong universal health care systems did better than the U.S. Uh, you know, the U.S. had 187 deaths per 100,000 people. That's lower than the U.K., lower than Belgium, way lower than Italy. Those are all countries with sophisticated national health programs. But much higher than many other countries that do have sophisticated national health programs and have also instituted a system of robust public information and, and, and tracking systems to see where the virus is going. Uh, one other data point is case fatality rate. The U.S. was among the countries got hit, as was Italy, that got hit fairly early. But we wound up with a case fatality rate of 1.8%. Uh, that's dramatically lower than the UK and Germany's rates, and about the same as Canada. So once people got into our healthcare system, they did better than people in some other systems with very respected national healthcare coverage. So again, this isn't an argument against it. I'm just saying, let's make sure that we're not basing what might be a perfectly good policy recommendation on data that isn't really conclusive. Yes. It reminds me of an episode we did with Ezekiel Emanuel, where he looked at healthcare systems around the world and gave the U.S. low marks in some areas, but very high marks in terms of critical care. And let me make one other point. Uh, Richard, you, you might think of me as the curmudgeonly um, contrarian, you know, libertarian, yes. uh, who's always <laughs> opposed to any kind of big government program. I do believe there are certain things that only the government can do well. And public health is an area where some role for the federal government is, is and on the state level is very appropriate. We need better pandemic planning. I wasn't happy to see that in this compromise infrastructure bill, some investment in long-range pandemic planning had been cut back. Obviously, we need better preparation, including the idea of putting together preliminary vaccines against families of viruses we think might be reservoirs of future outbreaks, especially these various bat viruses that we know about. If we could put together basic vaccines based on some of these, these viruses, get them tested, and then if a pandemic emerges, give them the tweaks they need uh, to be effective and then roll them out much more quickly, that would be a wonderful improvement over the current system. Another improvement would be better testing and contact tracing. Researchers have said that decisions made by the CDC are sometimes based on weak data. Some other countries, including the UK and New Zealand, are doing a much better job with this. Moderate and mild COVID infections are not tracked. So it isn't clear how the Delta variant behaves. County and state public health departments need better guidelines and more funding. This is How Do We Fix It? Number four fix is next. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Moving from number three, which was improving access to, to care and medical literacy, to number four, which is the children. And, and the cost to, to childhood education has been enormously damaging and, and hardly can be overestimated. It's easy to assign blame for this, but I think that the immense harm that has been done to children's prospects uh, needs, to be, needs to be looked at and needs to be countered with uh, uh, fully in-person back to school, but, but more than that, an and, and attempt to help children catch up in areas that they lost ground on during this past year and a half. You know, what's so heartbreaking about this pandemic is the way it worsened a lot of the underlying inequality in our society. Affluent people could go to their homes on Cape Cod or, or you know, their summer homes and continue to work in their, their jobs that can be done over a laptop. Other people lower on the income scale had to show up to work to run the subways or, you know, whatever they do. So we see that very much among the adult population. But I think the disparities that are going to emerge among children are, are far more dramatic. We think about remote learning, people learning from home. Too many people who are decision makers think about their own kids in a house that has three computers and six rooms where kids can go off and good Wi-Fi. Kids in poor neighborhoods are not getting this. A lot of them are also occupied in taking care of siblings while their their mother or father has to be off at, at work. So in a number of surveys, teachers said only about half of this, their students in low-income schools were involved at all in online learning. We're talking months going by without involving the education system, compared to 84% in higher-income schools, which still isn't that great, if you ask me. <laughs> So this is a problem that is going to resonate through the years, I'm afraid. We've also saw enormous impact on uh, mental health. So I think we're going to look back and say we were too aggressive. In, we weren't too aggressive in closing down the schools quickly, but we were too slow to reopen them. 
Yes, I agree with you. And and there's a very sobering statistic from The Economist in a in a recent issue, which said that in, in the U.S., children have missed more in-person schooling than anywhere else in the wealthy world. That is a damning fact. Number five, which is making it harder for people to be unvaccinated. We know the vaccines have been highly effective, and, and I think that state and local governments should mandate vaccines for employees, which increasingly is happening, and especially educational staff and, and medical workers. I mean, polio and measles were devastating, but their near elimination required vaccine mandates in the past. I think adding COVID to a vaccine mandate would make sense in, in certainly some cases. This is in the news right now on August 3rd, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio mandated certain businesses must require proof of COVID vaccination from employees and customers. We're talking about restaurants, gyms, entertainment venues, sports arenas. So this is a big move to force these these businesses to uh, to take a front role in in creating a vaccine mandate. I'd be a little more impressed with de Blasio's move if he managed to first make New York City employees uh, get vaccinated. There was a study just a few days ago, 40% of New York City school employees are not vaccinated. That's ridiculous. I mean, when only 42% of New York corrections workers are vaccinated, Less than half of of employees of the New York City Police Department are vaccinated. What the hell's going on here? And this is New York City. The work we got it, New York City got hit with COVID worse than any practically anywhere in the world, and these people can't even get themselves vaccinated. I, I don't get it. And if there's an area where the mayor and the and the and the, the state ought to have authority, it's on their own workforce. True. But the worst crisis from the Delta variant is not in New York, but in Texas and Florida, both led by Republican governors. And as of now, in early August, these two states alone have one third of all new COVID cases. Hospitalizations are at record highs in parts of the South. Mandates are part of the solution. But speaking as the dad of a small business owner, Jim, it's much harder for governments and big business to set a good example than for small business owners to be forced to act before other employers. I agree that for small business owners, it's extremely difficult. But I also bring this up because in the media, there's been this very comfortable, smug assumption that all the the people who don't want to get vaccinated are, you know, Trumpy rednecks in in red states. And if you look at a map, there's red states that do have very low rates of vaccination, but there are also boroughs in New York City that have low uh, rates of vaccination. I'm going to I'm I'm going to disagree with you. It's been pretty clear for quite a long time that vaccine hesitancy is not merely a political problem, and that there are many different communities with different reasons for being vaccine hesitant. Yes. And I'd like to see some of the leading institutions that are part of the the liberal consensus come around and support vaccines for their own members. Right now, the, the National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers and the New York State United Teachers Union are all fighting against the idea that their teachers and employees should be vaccinated. 
That's crazy. And but they are, but they are in favor of masks, and we can make this political if you want to. But I mean, Florida's Governor DeSantis outlawing any requirement to wear masks in schools. But why is, wear masks is, if you is can get not a good thing. That's well, insane. No, but no, that's Jim. insane that you're sending your your poor little seven year old to school in a mask because her teacher won't get vaccinated. That's ridiculous. With, no, that, what I'm kind so, of country I'm, is this? We make little kids wear masks because they're teachers. I won't get vaccinated. I don't get it. I'm disappointed that you would single out one group of workers or one union for criticism while there are others that also are to blame for this. And clearly we need better leadership from a lot of Republican and conservative governors, as well as Democratic mayors, as well as the teachers unions. It's not merely one sector of society. There's there's blame to go around for everyone, and there's also a great deal of praise to be to be handed out to many, many people who are doing their very best under extremely trying and difficult circumstances. Richard, I love how you look for that that uh, well we need that, to that if, if we're it, going to yeah. restore trust jim we need to and if we're right. going to come together in a time of great division we need to it's easy to get upset and blame people but it's it's harder to look at areas where we could have common agreement and encourage people to come together you know We've had these problems before in the past, and this has been a very short period of time, six months, since the vaccines were widely available in this country. And it's going to take a while to persuade a lot of people who are still on the fence to be vaccinated. I'm with you on the work to be more understanding of viewpoints that you don't necessarily agree with. That's the whole point of our podcast. The reason I brought up the teacher thing is I do feel like there's a real tendency on both sides to point fingers at the other side. How about people who are in the, the, the left-leaning mainstream lean on the people on their side? I'd like to see them do that just as I'd like to see Republicans do a better job of convincing the recalcitrants and, and, and modeling proper approaches to, to vaccines. And, and to mask wearing as well. Yeah. I mean, but if, why if, wear if masks not, if you have, no, vac- I'm sorry. If you have vaccines? Jim, you're you're pretending that we can live in a perfect world, and we can't. And there's no question that not everyone is going to get the vaccine, and so we need to wear masks until Who's we. Though? Everybody... You and I don't have to wear masks. Yes, we work yes, at home. I do, Jim. I do need to wear a mask when I go to church. I need to wear a mask when I go to stores now because of, of the Delta variant. Um, my grandson will need to wear a mask when he goes to school. And, and that's as it should be given the current landscape. We need to help protect people. And also there are 5 million people in this country who are severely immunocompromised who can't have the vaccine, even if others who are unvaccinated uh, should get it. Right. I, I'm I'm with you on that. But when it comes to kids, I think imposing on them the need to wear masks because adults won't get vaccinated is really unfair. Wearing a mask is a huge imposition. Let's move to the sixth, uh, <laughs> the, the sixth point, which is something I think you and I can agree on that has had far too little coverage. And that is that ultimately COVID will increase life expectancy. The virus has killed hundreds of thousands of people since February of last year, millions uh, around the world. But 
it will also lead to remarkable advances in mRNA vaccines, medicine, viral medicines. Uh, the pandemic's going to speed up and intensify research into other life-threatening illnesses, including cancer and possibly Alzheimer's. And already as a result of this pandemic, this awful pandemic, we have much more knowledge about how to reduce the spread of seasonal flu than we did before. And perhaps the COVID moment will end up being a bit like the panic over Sputnik in the 1950s, which led to huge advances in our understanding of space. Right. The impact of these mRNA vaccines is really going to be revolutionary in medicine. BioNTech, which worked with Pfizer on the, the Pfizer vaccine, they recently announced that they're developing a vaccine for malaria, which they hope will, they'll be able to start clinical trials in 2022. That is so huge. There's over 200 million cases of malaria a year, 400,000 deaths, most of them involving children. It's a disease that's mostly invisible to us in the developed world, but it is one of the, the most enduring health problems around the world for poor people. So this is nothing short of miraculous. There's also work on dramatically improved flu vaccines. That could save tens of thousands of lives in, in the U.S. alone if that, if that comes through. And as you mentioned, there are a number of applications of this technique to different kinds of cancer. Imagine, you know, vaccines against cancer we're not going to see all this overnight, but sometimes a crisis does lead to a breakthrough in science, as you mentioned with Sputnik, leads to breakthroughs, new ways of looking at things, and new focus that wind up solving all kinds of other problems. That's a great way to end. Uh, this is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Very last thing, Jim, before we go, we nearly forgot, I certainly did forget, a recommendation, and you have one. I do, I do. I am reading a, a fantastic book right now that came out a, a year or two ago. It's called The Swerve, How the World Became Modern by Stephen Greenblatt. You, you might remember he did a very popular book a few years before that called Will in the World about Shakespeare and Shakespeare's life. This book is about the impact of, of the revival of the study of, of Greek and Roman thinkers in the late medieval period and the early enlightenment and how skepticism about the orthodoxy of the church, greater intellectual curiosity, more widespread literacy led to this revolution of the, the Enlightenment, which gave us the scientific method, our ideas about democracy and about individual human rights. He calls that the swerve, and it's based on a, a translation of a, of a Latin word. It's a great book, and I, I read it several years ago. So for once, I'm, I'm ahead of you. <laughs> um, Stephen Greenblatt was also uh, a guest on How Do We Fix It? Episode 121, That's which right. was called Why We Need Stories and Myths. Great recommendation. That is, that is a wonderful book, The Swerve. And thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. And we are also a proud member of the Democracy Group, a gathering of about, I think it's 15 or 16 podcasts around democracy, reform, and other vital public concerns. Thanks for joining us. 
This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.